Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Chapter 4 of The Legends of King Arthur and His Knights by James Knowles. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Rose. Chapter 4. King Arthur Conquers Ireland and Norway slays the giant of st michael's mount and conquers gaul the adventures of sir balin the land of britain being now in peace and many great and valiant knights therein ready to take part in whatsoever battles or adventures might arise king arthur resolved to follow all his enemies to their own coasts anon he fitted out a great fleet and sailing first to ireland in one battle he miserably routed the people of the country the king of ireland also he took prisoner and forced all earls and barons to pay him homage having conquered ireland he went next to iceland and subdued it also and the winter being then arrived returned to britain in the next year he set forth to norway whence many times the heathen had descended on the british coasts for he was determined to give so terrible a lesson to those savages as should be told through all their tribes both far and near and make his name fearful to them as soon as he was come Ricolf the king with all the power of that country met and gave him battle but after mighty slaughter the britons had at length the advantage and slew Ricolf and countless multitude besides having thus defeated them they set the cities on fire dispersed the country people and pursued the victory till they had reduced all norway as also dacia under the dominion of king arthur now therefore having thus chastised those pagans who so long had harassed britain and put his yoke upon them he voyaged on to gaul being steadfastly set upon defeating the roman governor of that province and so beginning to make good the threats which he had sent the emperor by his ambassadors so soon as he was landed on the shores of gaul there came to him a countryman who told him of a fearful giant in the land of brittany who had slain murdered and devoured many people and had lived for seven years upon young children only insomuch said the man that all the children of the country are destroyed and but the other day he seized upon our duchess as she rode out with her men and took her away to his lodging in a cave of a mountain and though five hundred people followed her yet could they give her no help or rescue but left her shrieking and crying lamentably in the giant's hands and lord she is thy cousin hoel's wife who is of thy near kindred wherefore as thou art a rightful king have pity on this lady and as thou art a valiant conqueror avenge us and deliver us alas said king arthur this is a great mischief that ye tell of i had rather than the best realm i have that i had rescued that lady ere the giant laid his hand on her but tell me now good fellow canst thou bring me where this giant haunteth yea lord replied the man lo yonder where thou seest two great fires 
there shalt thou find him and more treasure also than is in all gaul besides then the king returned to his tent and calling sir kay and sir bedwin desired them to get horses ready for himself and them for that after evensong he would ride a pilgrimage with them alone to st michael's mount so in the evening they departed and rode as fast as they could till they came near the mount and there alighted and the king commanded the two knights to await him at the hill foot while he went up alone then he ascended the mountain till he came to a great fire and there he found a sorrowful widow wringing her hands and weeping miserably sitting by a new-made grave and saluting her king arthur prayed her wherefore she made such heavy lamentations sir knight she said speak softly for yonder is a devil who if he hear thy voice will come and straightway slay thee alas what dost thou hear fifty such men as thou were powerless to resist him here lieth dead my lady duchess of brittany wife to sir hoel who was the fairest lady in the world foully and shamefully slaughtered by that fiend beware that thou go not too nigh for he hath overcome and vanquished fifteen kings and hath made himself a coat of precious stones embroidered with their beards but if thou art hardy and wilt speak with him at yonder great fire he is at supper well said king arthur i will accomplish mine errand for all thy fearful words and so went forth to the crest of the hill and saw where the giant sat at supper gnawing on the limb of a man and baking his huge frame by the fire while three damsels turned three spits whereon were spitted like larks twelve young children lately born when king arthur saw all that his heart bled for sorrow and he trembled for rage and indignation then lifting up his voice he cried aloud god that wieldeth all the world give thee short life and a shameful death and may the devil have thy soul why hast thou slain those children and that fair lady wherefore arise and prepare thee to perish thou glutton and fiend for this day thou shalt die by my hands then the giant mad with fury at these words started up and seizing a great club smote the king and struck his crown from off his head but king arthur smote him with his sword so mightily in return that all his blood gushed forth in streams at that the giant howling in great anguish threw away his club of iron and caught the king in both his arms and strove to crush his ribs together but king arthur struggled and writhed and twisted him about so that the giant could not hold him tightly and as they fiercely wrestled they both fell and rolling over one another tumbled wrestling and struggling and fighting frantically from rock to rock till they came to the sea and as they tore and strove and tumbled the king ever and anon smote at the giant with his dagger till his arms stiffened in death around king arthur's body and groaning horribly he died so presently the two knights came and found the king locked fast in the giant's arms and very faint and weary and loosed him from their hold then the king bade sir kay to smite off the giant's head and set it on the truncheon of a spear and bear it to sir hoel and tell him that his enemy is slain and afterward let it be fastened to the castle gate that all the people may behold it 
and go ye two up on the mountain and fetch me my shield and sword and also the great club of iron ye will see there and as for the treasure ye shall find there wealth beyond counting but take as much as ye will for if i have his kirtle and club i desire no more then the knights fetched the club and kirtle as the king had ordered and took the treasure to themselves as much as they could carry and returned to the army but when this deed was noised abroad all the people came in multitudes to thank the king who told them to give thanks to god and to divide the giant's spoils amongst them equally and king arthur desired sir hoel to build a church upon the mount and dedicate it to the archangel michael on the morrow all the host moved onwards to the country of champagne and floyo the russian tribune retired before them into paris but while he was preparing to collect more forces from the neighboring countries king arthur came upon him unawares and besieged him in the town and when a month had passed floyo full of grief at the starvation of his people who died in hundreds day by day sent to king arthur and desired that they two might fight together for he was a man of mighty stature and courage and thought himself sure of the victory this challenge king arthur full weary the siege accepted with great joy and sent back word to floyo that he would meet him whensoever he appointed and a truce being made on both sides they met together the next day on the island without the city where all the people also were gathered to see the issue and as the king and floyo rode up to the lists each was so nobly armed and horsed and sat so mightily upon his saddle that no man could tell which way the battle would end when they had saluted one another and presented themselves against each other with their lances aloft they put spurs to their horses and began a fierce encounter but king arthur carrying his spear more warily struck it on the upper part of floyo's breast and flung him from his saddle to the earth then drawing his sword he cried to him to rise and rushed upon him but floyo starting up met him with his spear couched and pierced the breast of king arthur's horse and overthrew both horse and man the britons when they saw their king upon the ground could scarcely keep themselves from breaking up the truce and falling on the gauls but as they were about to burst the barriers and rush upon the lists king arthur hastily arose and guarding himself with his shield ran with speed on floyo and now they renewed the assault with great rage being sorely bent upon each other's death at length floyo seizing his advantage gave king arthur a huge stroke upon the helm which nigh overthrew him and drew forth his blood in streams but when king arthur saw his armour and shield red with blood he was inflamed with fury and lifting up excalibur on high with all his might he struck straight through the helmet into floyo's head and smote it into halves and floyo falling backwards and tearing up the ground with his spurs expired as soon as this news spread the citizens all ran together and opening the gates surrendered the city to the conqueror and when he had overrun the whole province with his arms and reduced it everywhere to subjection he returned again to britain and held his court at caerleon with greater state than ever 
Anon he invited hereto all the kings, dukes, earls, and barons who owed him homage, that he might treat them royally, and reconcile them to each other and to his rule. And never was there a city more fit and pleasant for such festivals, for on one side it was washed by a noble river, so that the kings and princes from the countries beyond the sea might conveniently sail up to it, and on the other side the beauty of the groves and meadows, and the stateliness and magnificence of the royal palaces with lofty gilded roofs made it even rival the grandeur of Rome. It was famous also for two great and noble churches, whereof one was built in honour of the martyr Julius, and adorned with a choir of virgins who had devoted themselves wholly to the service of God, and the other, founded in memory of St. Aaron, his companion, maintained a convent of canons, and was the third metropolitan church of Britain. Besides, there was a college of two hundred philosophers learned in astronomy and all the other sciences and arts in this place therefore full of such delights king arthur held his court with many jousts and tournaments and royal huntings and rested for a season after all his wars and on a certain day there came into the court a messenger from king rience king of north wales bearing this message from his master that king rience had discomfited eleven kings and had compelled each one of them to cut off his beard that he had trimmed a mantle with these beards and lacked but one more beard to finish it and that he therefore now sent for king arthur's beard which he required of him forthwith or else he would enter his lands and burn and slay and never leave them till he had taken by force not his beard only but his head also when king arthur heard these words he flushed all scarlet and rising in great anger said well is it for thee that thou speakest another man's words with thy lips and not thine own thou hast said thy message which is the most insolent and villainous that ever man heard sent to any king now hear my reply my beard is yet too young to trim that mantle of thy master's with yet young although i be i owe no homage either to him or any man nor will ever owe but young although i be i will have thy master's homage upon both his knees before this year be past or else he shall lose his head by the faith of my body for this message is the shamefulest i ever heard speak of i see well thy king hath never yet met with a worshipful man but tell that king arthur will have his head or his worship right soon then the messenger departed and arthur looking round upon his knights demanded of them if any there knew this king rience yea answered sir noran i know him well and there be few better or stronger knights upon a field than he and he is passing proud and haughty in his heart wherefore i doubt not lord he will make war on thee with mighty power well said king arthur i shall be ready for him and that he shall find while the king thus spoke there came into the hall a damsel having on a mantle richly furred which she let fall and showed herself to be girded with a noble sword the king being surprised at this said damsel wherefore art thou girt with that sword for it beseemeth thee not sir said she i will tell thee 
This sword wherewith I am thus girt gives me great sorrow and encumbrance, for I may not be delivered from it till I find a knight faithful and pure and true, strong of body and of valiant deeds, without guile or treachery, who shall be able to draw it from its scabbard which no man else can do. And I have but just now come from the court of King Ryence, for there they told me many great and good knights were ever to be found. But he and all his knights have tried to draw it forth in vain, for none of them can move it. This is a great marvel, said King Arthur. I will myself try to draw forth this sword, not thinking in my heart that I am the best knight, but rather to begin and give example that all may try after me. Saying this, he took the sword and pulled at it with all his might, but could not shake or move it. "'Thou needest not strive so hard, Lord,' said the damsel, "'for whoever may be able to pull it forth shall do so very easily.' "'Thou sayest well,' replied the king, "'remembering how he had himself drawn forth the sword from the stone before St. Paul's. "'Now try ye all my barons, but beware ye not be stained with shame nor any treachery or guile.' And turning away his face from them, King Arthur mused full heavily of sins within his breast he knew of, and which his failure brought to mind right sadly. Then all the barons present tried each after the other, but could none of them succeed, whereat the damsel greatly wept and said, Alas, alas! I thought in this court to have found the best knight without shame or treachery or treason. Now by chance there was at that time a poor knight with King Arthur, who had been prisoner at his court for half a year and more, charged with slaying unawares a knight who was a cousin of the king's. He was named Balin le Sauvage, and had been by the good offices of the barons delivered from prison, for he was of good and valiant address and gentle blood. He, being secretly present at the court, saw this adventure, and felt his heart rise high within him, and longed to try the sword as did the others, but being poor, and poorly clad, he was ashamed to come forward in the press of knights and nobles. But in his heart he felt assured that he could do better, if heaven willed, than any knight among them all. So as the damsel left the king, he called to her and said, Damsel, I pray thee of thy courtesy, suffer me to try the sword as well as all these lords, for though I be but poorly clad, I feel assurance in my heart. The damsel, looking at him, saw in him a likely, an honest man, but because of his poor garments could not think him to be any knight of worship, and said, Sir, there is no need to put me to any more pain or labour. Why shouldst thou succeed, where so many worthy ones have failed? Ah, fair lady, answered Balin, worthiness and brave deeds are not shown by fair raiment, but manhood and truth lie hid within the heart. There be many worshipful knights unknown to all the people. By my faith thou sayest truth, replied the damsel. Try therefore, if thou wilt, what thou canst do. So Balin took the sword by the girdle and hilt, and drew it lightly out, and looking on its workmanship and brightness, it pleased him greatly. But the king and all the barons marvelled at Sir Balin's fortune, and many knights were envious of him, for 
truly said the damsel this is a passing good knight and the best man i have ever found and the most worshipfully free from treason treachery or villainy and many wonders shall he achieve now gentle and courteous knight continued she turning to balin give me the sword again nay said sir balin save it be taken from me by force i shall preserve this sword for evermore thou art not wise replied the damsel to keep it from me for if thou wilt do so thou shalt slay with it the best friend thou hast and the sword shall be thine destruction also i will take whatever adventure god may send said balin but the sword will i keep by the faith of my body thou wilt repent it shortly said the damsel i would take the sword for thy sake rather than for mine for i am passing grieved and heavy for thy sake who wilt not believe the peril i foretell thee with that she departed making great lamentation then balin sent for his horse and armour and took his leave of king arthur who urged him to stay at his court for he said he i believe that thou art displeased that i showed thee unkindness blame me not overmuch for i was misinformed against thee and knew not truly what a knight of worship thou art abide in this court with my good knights and i will so advance thee that thou shalt be well pleased god thank thee lord said balin for no man can reward thy bounty and thy nobleness but at this time i must needs depart praying thee ever to hold me in thy favour truly said king arthur i am grieved for thy departure but tarry not long and thou shalt be right welcome to me and all my knights when thou returnest and i will repair my neglect and all that i have done amiss against thee god thank thee lord again said balin and made ready to depart but meanwhile came into the court a lady upon horseback full richly dressed and saluted king arthur and asked him for the gift that he had promised her when she gave him his sword excalibur for said she i am the lady of the lake ask what thou wilt said the king and thou shalt have it if i have power to give i ask said she the head of that knight who hath just achieved the sword or else the damsel's head who brought it or else both for the knight slew my brother and the lady caused my father's death truly said king arthur i cannot grant thee this desire it were against my nature and against my name but ask whatever else thou wilt and i will do it i will demand no other thing said she and as she spake came balin on his way to leave the court and saw her where she stood and knew her straight away for his mother's murderess whom he had sought in vain three years and when they told him that she had asked king arthur for his head he went up straight to her and said may evil have thee thou desirest my head therefore shalt thou lose thine and with his sword he lightly smote her head off in the presence of the king and all the court alas for shame cried out king arthur rising up in wrath why hast thou done this shaming both me and my court i am beholden greatly to this lady and under my safe conduct came she here thy deed is passing shameful never shall i forgive thy villainy lord cried sir balin hear me this lady was the falsest living and by her witchcraft hath destroyed many and caused my mother also to be burnt to death by her false arts and treachery 
"'What cause soever thou mightest have had,' said the king, "'thou shouldst have forborne her in my presence. "'Deceive not thyself, thou shalt repent this sin, "'for such a shame was never brought upon my court. "'Depart now from my face with all the haste thou mayest.' Then Balin took up the head of the lady, and carried it to his lodgings, and rode forth with his squire from out the town. Then said he, Now must we part. Take ye this head, and bear it to my friends in Northumberland, and tell them how I speed, and that our worst foe is dead. Also tell them that I am free from prison, and of the adventure of my sword. Alas, said the squire, Ye are greatly to blame to have so displeased King Arthur. As for that, said Sir Balin, I go now to find King Rience, and destroy him or lose my life, for should I take him prisoner and lead him to the court, perchance King Arthur would forgive me and become my good and gracious lord. Where shall I meet thee again? said the squire. In King Arthur's court, said Balin. End of Chapter 4 Recording by Thomas Rose Chapter 5 of The Legends of King Arthur and His Knights by James Knowles This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Rose Chapter 5 Sir Balin smites the Dolores stroke and fights with his brother, Sir Balan. Now there was a knight at the court more envious than the others of Sir Balin, for he counted himself one of the best knights in Britain. His name was Lancier, and going to the king he begged leave to follow after Sir Balin and avenge the insult he had put upon the court. "'Do thy best,' replied the king, "'for I am passing wroth with Balin.' In the meantime came Merlin, and was told of this adventure of the sword and the Lady of the Lake. "'Now hear me,' said he, "'when I tell ye that this lady who hath brought the sword is the falsest damsel living.' "'Say not so,' they answered, "'for she hath a brother, a good knight, who slew another knight this damsel loved, so she, to be revenged upon her brother, went to the Lady Lyle of Avilion, and besought her help.' Then the Lady Lyle gave her the sword, and told her that no man should draw it forth but one, a valiant knight and strong, who should avenge her on her brother. This, therefore, was the reason why the damsel came here. "'I know it all as well as ye do,' answered Merlin, "'and would to God she had never come hither, for never came she into any company but to do harm.' and that good knight who hath achieved the sword shall himself be slain by it, which shall be great harm and loss, for a better knight there liveth not, and he shall do unto my lord the king great honour and service. Then Sir Lancier, having armed himself at all points, mounted and rode after Sir Balin as fast as he could go, and overtaking him he cried aloud, Abide, Sir Knight, wait yet a while, or I shall make thee do so. Hearing him cry, Sir Balin fiercely turned his horse, and said, Fair knight, what wilt thou with me? Wilt thou joust? Yea, said Sir Lancier, it is for that I have pursued thee. Peradventure, answered Balin, thou hadst best have stayed at home, for many a man who thinketh himself already victor endeth by his own downfall. 
of what court art thou of king arthur's court cried lancier and i am come to avenge the insult thou hast put on it this day well said sir balin i see that i must fight thee and i repent to be obliged to grieve king arthur or his knights and thy quarrel seemeth full foolish to me for the damsel that is dead worked endless evils through the land or else i had been loath as any knight that liveth to have slain a lady make thee ready shouted sir lancier for one of us shall rest for ever in this field but at their first encounter sir lancier's spear flew into splinters from sir balin's shield and sir balin's lance pierced with such might through sir lancier's shield that it rove the hauberk also and passing through the knight's body and the horse's crupper and sir balin turning fiercely round again drew out his sword and knew not that he had already slain him and then he saw him lie a corpse upon the ground at that same moment came a damsel riding toward him as fast as her horse could gallop who when she saw sir lancier dead wept and sorrowed out of measure crying o sir balin two bodies hast thou slain and one heart and two hearts in one body and two souls also hast thou lost therewith she took the sword from her dead lover's side for she was sir lancier's lady love and setting the pommel of it on the ground ran herself through the body with the blade when sir balin saw her dead he was sorely hurt and grieved in spirit and repented the death of lancier which had also caused so fair a lady's death and being unable to look on their bodies for sorrow he turned aside into a forest where presently as he rode he saw the arms of his brother sir balan and when they were met they put off their helms and embraced each other kissing and weeping for joy and pity then sir balin told sir balan all his late adventures and that he was on his way to king ryence who at that time was besieging castle terrabil i will be with thee answered sir balin and we will help each other as brethren ought to do anon by chance as they were talking came king mark of cornwall by that way and when he saw the two dead bodies of sir lancier and his lady lying there and heard the story of their death he vowed to build a tomb to them before he left that place so pitching his pavilion there he sought through all the country round to find a monument and found at last a rich and fair one in a church which he took and raised above the dead knight and his damsel, writing on it, Here lieth Lancier, son of the king of Ireland, who at his own request was slain by Balin, and here beside him also lieth his lady Colombe, who slew herself with her lover's sword for grief and sorrow. Then as Sir Balin and Sir Balan rode away, Merlin met with them, and said to Balin, thou hast done thyself great harm not to have saved that lady's life who slew herself and because of it thou shalt strike the most dolorous stroke that ever man struck save that he smote our lord for thou shalt smite the truest and most worshipful of living knights who shall not be recovered from his wounds for many years and through that stroke three kingdoms shall be overwhelmed in poverty and misery if i believed said sir balin what thou sayest 
I would slay myself to make thee a liar. At that Merlin vanished suddenly away, but afterwards he met them in disguise towards night, and told them he could lead them to King Ryentz, whom they sought. For this night he is to ride with sixty lances only through a wood hard by. So Sir Balin and Sir Balan hid themselves within the wood, and at midnight came out from their ambush among the leaves by the highway, and waited for the king, whom presently they heard approaching with his company. Then did they suddenly leap forth, and smote at him, and overthrew him, and laid him on the ground, and turning on his company, wounded and slew forty of them, and put the rest to flight. And returning to King Ryentz, they would have slain him there, but he craved mercy, and yielded to their grace, crying, Knights full of prowess, slay me not, for by my life ye may win something, but my death can avail ye not. Ye say truth said the two knights, and put him on a horse-litter, and went swiftly through all the night, till at cock-crow they came to King Arthur's palace. There they delivered him to the warders and porters, to be brought before the king with this message, that he was sent to King Arthur by the knight of the two swords, for it was so that Balin was known by name, and since his adventure with the damsel and by his brother, and so they rode away again ere sunrise. Within a month or two thereafter, King Arthur, being somewhat sick, went forth outside the town, and had his pavilion pitched in a meadow, and there abode, and laid him down on a pallet to sleep, but could get no rest. And as he lay, he heard the sound of a great horse, and looking out the tent door, saw a knight ride by, making great lamentation. "'Abide, fair sir!' said King Arthur, and tell me wherefore thou makest this sorrow. Ye may little amend it, said the knight, and so passed on. Presently after Sir Balin rode by chance, past that meadow, and when he saw the king, he alighted and came to him on foot, and kneeled and saluted him. By my head, said King Arthur, ye be welcome, Sir Balin and then he thanked him heartily for revenging him upon King Ryentz, and for sending him so speedily a prisoner to his castle, and told him how King Nero, Ryentz's brother, had attacked him afterward to deliver Ryentz from prison, and how he had defeated him and slain him, and also King Lot of Orkney, who was joined with Nero, and whom King Pellinore had killed in the battle. And then when they had thus talked, King Arthur told Sir Balin of the sullen knight that had just passed his tent, and desired him to pursue him, and to bring him back. So Sir Balin rode, and overtook the knight in a forest with a damsel, and said, Sir knight, thou must come back with me unto my lord King Arthur, to tell him the cause of thy sorrow, which thou hast refused even now to do. That I will not, replied the knight for it would harm me much, and do him no advantage. Sir, said Sir Balin, I pray thee make ready, for thou must needs go with me, or else I must fight with thee, and take thee by force. Wilt thou be warrant for safe conduct, if I go with thee? inquired the knight. Yea, surely, answered Balin, I will die else. So the knight made ready to go with Sir Balin, and left the damsel in the wood, but as they went, there came one invisible, and smote the knight through the body with a spear. Alas! cried Sir Herleus, 
for so he was named, I am slain under thy guard and conduct by that traitor knight called Garlon, who through magic and witchcraft rideth invisibly. Take therefore my horse, which is better than thine, and ride to the damsel whom we left, and the quest I had in hand, as she will lead thee, and revenge my death when thou best mayest. That I will do, said Sir Balin, by my knighthood, and so I swear to thee. Then went Sir Balin to the damsel, and rode forth with her, she carrying ever with her the truncheon of the spear wherewith Sir Herlius had been slain, and as they went a good knight, Perrin de Montbelgarde, joined their company, and vowed to take adventure with them wheresoever they might go but presently as they passed a hermitage fast by a churchyard came the knight garlon again invisible and smote sir perrin through the body with a spear and slew him as he had slain sir herlius whereat sir balin greatly raged and swore to have sir garlon's life whenever next he might encounter and behold him in his bodily shape Anon he and the hermit buried the good knight Sir Perrin, and rode on with the damsel till they came to a great castle, whereunto they were about to enter. But when Sir Balin had passed through the gateway, the portcullis fell behind him suddenly, leaving the damsel on the outer side, with men around her, drawing their swords as if to slay her. When he saw that, Sir Balin climbed with eager haste by wall and tower, and leaped into the castle moat, and rushed toward the damsel and her enemies with his sword drawn to fight and slay them, but they cried out, Put up thy sword, Sir Knight, we will not fight thee in this quarrel, for we do nothing but an ancient custom of this castle. Then they told him that the lady of the castle was sick, and had lain ill for many years, and might never more be cured unless she had a silver dish full of the blood of a pure maid and a king's daughter, wherefore the custom of the castle was that never should a damsel pass that way, but she must give a dish full of her blood. Then Sir Balin suffered them to bleed the damsel with her own consent but her blood helped not the lady of the castle so on the morrow they departed after right good cheer and rest then they rode three or four days without adventure and came at last to the abode of a rich man who sumptuously lodged and fed them and while they sat at supper sir balin heard a voice of some one groaning grievously what noise is this said he forsooth said the host i will tell you i was lately at a tournament and there i fought a knight who is brother to king pelles and overthrew him twice for which he swore to be revenged on me through my best friend and so he wounded my son who cannot be recovered until i have that knight's blood but he rideth through witchcraft always invisibly and i know not his name ah said sir balin but i know him his name is garlon and he hath slain two knights companions of mine own in the same fashion and i would rather than all the riches in this realm that i might meet him face to face well said his host let me now tell thee that king pelles hath proclaimed in all the country a great festival to be held at listenness in twenty days from now whereto no knight may come without a lady at that great feast we might perchance find this garlon for many will be there and if it please thee we will set forth together 
So on the morrow they rode all three towards Lysinus, and travelled fifteen days, and reached it on the day the feast began. Then they alighted and stabled their horses, and went up to the castle, and Sir Balin's host was denied entrance, having no lady with him. But Sir Balin was right heartily received, and taken to a chamber, where they unarmed him, and dressed him in rich robes of any colour that he chose, and told him he must lay aside his sword. This, however, he refused, and said, It is the custom of my country for a knight to keep his sword ever with him, and if I may not keep it here, I will forthwith depart. Then they gave him leave to wear his sword. So he went to the great hall, and was set among knights of rank and worship, and his lady before him. Soon he found means to ask one who sat near him, Is there not a knight whose name is Garlon? "'Yonder he goeth,' said his neighbour, "'he with that black face. "'He is the most marvellous knight alive, "'for he rideth invisibly and destroyeth whom he will.' "'Ah, well,' said Balin, drawing a long breath, "'is that indeed the man?' "'Then he mused long within himself and thought, "'If I shall slay him here and now, "'I shall not escape myself, "'but if I leave him peradventure, "'I shall never meet with him again at such advantage, "'and if he live, how much more harm and mischief will he do?' "'But while he deeply thought and cast his eyes "'from time to time upon Sir Garlon, "'that false knight saw that he watched him, "'and thinking that he could at such a time escape revenge, "'he came and smote Sir Balin on the face "'with the back of his hand, and said, "'Knight, why dost thou so watch me? "'Be ashamed, and eat thy meat, "'and do that which thou camest for.' "'Thou sayest well,' cried Sir Balin, rising fiercely. "'Now I will straightway do that which I came to do, as thou shalt find.' And with that he whirled his sword aloft, and struck him downright on the head, and clove his skull asunder to the shoulder. "'Give me the truncheon,' cried out Sir Balin to his lady, wherewith he slew thy knight. And when she gave it him, for she had always carried it about with her, wherever she had gone, he smote him through the body with it, and said, With that truncheon didst thou treacherously murder a good knight, and now it sticketh in thy felon body. Then he called to the father of the wounded son, who had come with him to Lysinus, and said, Now take as much blood as thou wilt to heal thy son withal. But now arose a terrible confusion, and all the knights leaped from the table to slay Balin, King Pelles himself in the foremost, who cried out, Knight, thou hast slain my brother at my board. Die, therefore, die, for thou shalt never leave this castle. Slay me thyself, then, shouted Balin. Yea, said the king, that will I, for no other man shall touch thee for the love I bear my brother. Then King Pelles caught in his hand a grim weapon and smote eagerly at Balin, but Balin put his sword between his head and the king's stroke and saved himself, but lost his sword, which fell down smashed and shivered into pieces by the blow. So being weaponless, he ran to the next room to find a sword, and so from room to room, with King Pelles after him, he in vain, ever eagerly casting his eyes round for every place to find some weapon. At last he ran into a chamber wondrous richly decked, where was a bed all dressed with cloth of gold, the richest that could be thought of, and one who lay quite still within the bed, 
and by the bedside stood a table of pure gold borne on four silver pillars, and on the table stood a marvellous spear, strangely wrought. When Sir Balin saw the spear, he seized it in his hand, and turned upon King Pellis, and smote at him so fiercely and so sore that he dropped swooning to the ground. But at that dolorous and awful stroke the castle rocked and roved throughout, and all the walls fell, crashed and breaking to the earth, and Balin himself fell also in their midst, struck as if it were to stone, and powerless to move a hand or foot. And so three days he lay amidst the ruins, until Merlin came and raised him up, and brought him a good horse, and bade him ride out of that land as swiftly as he could. "'May I not take the damsel with me that I brought hither?' said Sir Balin. "'Lo, where she lieth dead,' said Merlin. "'Ah, little knowest thou, Sir Balin, what thou hast done, for in this castle and that chamber which thou didst defile was the blood of our Lord Christ.' and also that most holy cup the sangreal wherefrom the wine was drunk at the last supper of our lord joseph of arimathea brought it to this land when first he came here to convert and save it and on that bed of gold was he himself who lay and the strange spear beside him was the spear wherewith the soldier longus smote our lord which evermore had dripped with blood king pellis is the nearest kin to joseph in direct descent wherefore he held these holy things in trust but now have they all gone at thy dolorous stroke no man knoweth whither and great is the damage to this land which until now hath been the happiest of all lands for by that stroke thou hast slain thousands and by the loss and parting of the sangreal the safety of this realm is put in peril and its great happiness is gone for evermore then balin departed from merlin struck to his soul with grief and sorrow and said in this world shall we meet nevermore so he rode forth through the fair cities and the country, and found the people lying dead on every side, and all the living cried out on him as he passed, O Balin, all this misery hast thou done, for the dolorous stroke thou gavest King Pellis, three countries are destroyed, and doubt not, but revenge will fall on thee at last. When he had passed the boundary of those countries, he was somewhat comforted, and rode eight days without adventure. Anon he came to a cross, whereon was written in letters of gold, It is not for a knight alone to ride toward this castle. Looking up, he saw a hoary ancient man come towards him, who said, Sir Balin le Sauvage, thou passest thy bounds this way therefore turn back again it will be best for thee and with these words he vanished then did he hear a horn blow as if it were the death note of some hunted beast that blast said balin is blown for me for i am the prey though yet i be not dead but as he spoke he saw a hundred ladies with a great troop of knights come forth to meet him with bright faces and great welcome who led him to the castle and made a great feast with dancing and minstrelsy and all manner of joy then the chief lady of the castle said 
knight with the two swords thou must encounter and fight with a knight hard by who dwelleth on an island for no man may pass this way without encountering him it is a grievous custom answered sir balin there is but one knight to defeat replied the lady well said sir balin be it as thou wilt i am ready and quite willing and though my horse and my body be full weary yet is my heart not weary save of life and truly i were glad if i might meet my death sir said one standing by methinketh your shield is not good i will lend you a bigger i thank thee sir said balin and took the unknown shield and left his own and so rode forth and put himself and horse into a boat and came to the island as soon as he had landed he saw come riding toward him a knight dressed all in red upon a horse trapped in the same colour when the red knight saw sir balin and the two swords he wore he thought it must have been his brother for the red knight was sir balan but when he saw the strange arms upon his shield he forgot the thought and came against him fiercely at the first course they overthrew each other and both lay swooning on the ground but sir balin was the most hurt and bruised for he was weary and spent with travelling so sir balan rose up first to his feet and drew his sword and sir balin painfully rose against him and raised his shield then sir balan smote him through the shield and brake his helmet and sir balin in return smote at him with his fated sword and had well nigh slain his brother so they fought till their breaths failed then sir balin looking up saw all the castle towers stand full of ladies so they went again to battle and wounded each other full sore and paused and breathed again and then again began the fight and this for many times they did till all the ground was red with blood and by now each had full grievously wounded the other with seven great wounds the least of which might have destroyed the mightiest giant in the world but still they rose against each other although their hauberks now were all unnailed and they smiting at each other's naked bodies with their sharp swords at the last sir balan the younger brother withdrew a little space and laid him down then said sir balin le sauvage what knight art thou for never before have i found a knight to match me thus my name said he all faintly is balan brother to the good knight sir balin ah god cried balin that ever i should see this day and therewith fell down backward in a swoon then sir balan crept with pain upon his feet and hands and put his brother's helmet off his head but could not know him by his face it was so hewed and bloody but presently when sir balin came to he said o balan mine own brother thou hast slain me and i thee all the wide world saw never greater grief alas said sir balan that i ever saw this day and through mishap alone i knew thee not for when i saw thy two swords if it had not been for thy strange shield i should have known thee for my brother 
alas said balin all this sorrow lieth at the door of one unhappy knight within the castle who made me change my shield if i might live i would destroy that castle and its evil customs it were well done said balan for since i first came hither i have never been able to depart for here they made me fight with one who kept this island whom i slew and by enchantment i might never quit it more nor couldst thou brother hadst thou slain me and escaped with thine own life anon came the lady of the castle and when she heard their talk and saw their evil case she wrung her hands and wept bitterly so sir balan prayed the lady of her gentleness that for his true service she would bury them both together in that place this she granted weeping full sore and said it should be done right solemnly and richly and in the noblest manner possible then did they send for a priest and receive the holy sacrament at his hands and balin said write over us upon our tomb that here two brethren slew each other then shall never good knight or pilgrim pass this way but he will pray for both our souls and anon sir balan died but sir balin died not till the midnight after and then they both were buried on the morrow of their death came merlin and took sir balin's sword and fixed on it a new pommel and set in it a mighty stone which then by magic he made float upon the water and so for many years it floated to and fro around the island till it swam down the river to camelot where young sir galahad achieved it as shall be told hereafter End of chapter 5 Recording by Thomas Rose Chapter 6 of The Legends of King Arthur and His Knights by James Knowles This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Rose Chapter 6 the marriage of king arthur and queen guinevere and the founding of the round table the adventure of the hart and hound it befell upon a certain day that king arthur said to merlin my lords and knights do daily pray me now to take a wife but i will have none without thy counsel for thou hast ever helped me since i first came to this crown it is well said merlin that thou shouldst take a wife for no man of bounteous and noble nature should live without one but is there any lady whom thou lovest better than another yea said king arthur i love guinevere the daughter of king leodegrance of camelgard who also holdeth in his house the round table that he had from my father uther and as i think that damsel is the gentlest and fairest lady living sir answered merlin as for her beauty she is one of the fairest that do live but if ye had not loved her as ye do i would fain have had ye choose some other who was both fair and good but where a man's heart is set he will be loath to leave this merlin said knowing the misery that should hereafter happen from this marriage then king arthur sent word to king leodegrance 
that he mightily desired to wed his daughter, and how that he had loved her since he saw her first, when with King Ban and Bors he rescued Laodegrance from King Ryance of North Wales. When King Laodegrance heard the message, he cried out, "'These be the best tidings I have heard in all my life, so great and worshipful a prince to seek my daughter for his wife.' i would fain give him half my lands with her straight away but that he needeth none and better will it please him that i send him the round table of king uther his father with a hundred good knights toward the furnishing of it with guests for he will soon find means to gather more and make the table full then king leodegrance delivered his daughter guinevere to the messengers of king arthur and also the round table with the hundred knights so they rode royally and freshly, sometimes by water and sometimes by land, toward Camelot. And as they rode along in the spring weather, they made full many sports and pastimes, and in all those sports and games a young knight lately come to Arthur's court, Sir Lancelot by name, was passing strong, and won praise from all, being full of grace and hardihood, and Guinevere also ever looked on him with joy and always in the eventide when the tents were set beside some stream or forest many minstrels came and sang before the knights and ladies as they sat in the tent doors and many knights would tell adventures and still sir lancelot's was foremost and told the knightliest tales and sang the goodliest songs of all the company and when they came to camelot king arthur made great joy and all the city with him and riding forth with a great retinue he met guinevere and her company and led her through the streets all filled with people and in the midst of all their shoutings and the ringing of church bells to a palace hard by his own then with all haste the king commanded to prepare the marriage and the coronation with the stateliest and most honourable pomp that could be made and when the day was come the archbishop led the king to the cathedral whereto he walked clad in his royal robes and having four kings bearing four golden swords before him a choir of passing sweet music going also with him in another part was the queen dressed in her richest ornaments and led by archbishops and bishops to the chapel of the virgins the four queens also of the four kings last mentioned walked before her bearing four white doves according to the ancient custom and after her there followed many damsels singing and making every sign of joy and when the two processions were come to the churches so wondrous was the music and the singing that all the knights and barons who were there pressed on each other as in the crowd of battle to hear and see the most they might when the king was crowned he called together all the knights that came with the round table from camelgard and twenty-eight others great and valiant men chosen by merlin out of all the realm towards making up the full number of the table then the archbishop of canterbury blessed the seats of all the knights and when they rose again therefrom to pay their homage to king arthur there was found upon the back of each knight's seat his name written in letters of gold but upon one seat was found written this is the siege perilous wherein if any man shall sit save him whom heaven hath chosen he shall be devoured by fire 
Anon came young Gawain, the king's nephew, praying to be made a knight, whom the king knighted then and there. Soon after came a poor man, leading with him a tall, fair lad of eighteen years of age, riding on a lean mare, and falling at the king's feet, the poor man said, "'Lord, it was told me that at this time of thy marriage thou wouldst give to any man the gift he asked for. So it were not unreasonable.' "'That is the truth,' replied King Arthur, "'and I will make it good.' "'Thou sayest graciously and nobly,' said the poor man. "'Lord, I ask nothing else but that thou wilt make my son here a knight.' "'It is a great thing that thou askest,' said the king. "'What is thy name?' "'Ares the cowherd,' answered he. "'Cometh this prayer from thee, or from thy son?' inquired King Arthur. "'Nay, Lord, not from myself,' said he, "'but from him only, for I have thirteen other sons, "'and all of them will fall to any labour that I put them to. "'But this one will do no such work for anything that I or my wife may do, "'but is for ever shooting or fighting and running to see knights and joustings, "'and torments me both night and day that he be made a knight.' "'What is thy name?' said the king to the young man. "'My name is Tor,' said he. Then the king, looking at him steadfastly, was well pleased with his face and figure, and with his look of nobleness and strength. "'Fetch all thy other sons before me,' said the king to Ares. But when he brought them, none of them resembled Tor in size or shape or feature. Then the king knighted Tor, saying, "'Be thou to thy life's end a good knight and a true, as I pray God thou mayest be. And if thou provest worthy,' and of prowess, one day thou shalt be counted in the round table. Then turning to Merlin, Arthur said, Prophesy now, O Merlin, shall Sir Tor become a worthy knight or not? Yea, Lord, said Merlin, so he ought to be, for he is the son of that King Pellinore whom thou hast met, and proved to be one of the best knights living. He is no cowherd's son." Presently after came in King Pellinore, and when he saw Sir Tor, he knew him for his son, and was more pleased than words can tell to find him knighted by the king. And Pellinore did homage to King Arthur, and was gladly and graciously accepted of the king, and then was led by Merlin to a high seat at the round table, near to the perilous seat. But Sir Gawain was full of anger at the honour done King Pellinore, and said to his brother Gaheris, he slew our father, King Lot. Therefore will I slay him. Do it not yet, said he. Wait until I also be a knight, then I will help ye in it. It is best ye suffer him to go at this time, and not trouble this high feast with bloodshed. As ye will, so be it, said Sir Gawain. Then rose the king, and spake to all the round table, and charged them to be ever true and noble knights, to do neither outrage nor murder, nor any unjust violence, and always to flee treason, also by no means ever to be cruel, but give mercy unto him that asks for mercy upon pain of forfeiting the liberty of his court for evermore. Moreover, at all times, on pain of death, to give all succour unto ladies and young damsels, and lastly, never to take part in any wrongful quarrel for reward or payment. And to all this he swore them, night by night, 
Then he ordained that every year at Pentecost they should all come before him, wheresoever he might appoint a place, and give account of all their doings and adventures in the past twelve months. And so, with prayer and blessing and high words of cheer, he instituted the most noble order of the round table, whereto the best and bravest knights in all the world sought afterward to find admission. Then was the high feast made ready, and the king and queen sat side by side before the whole assembly, and great and royal was the banquet and the pomp. And as they sat, each man in his place, Merlin went round and said, sit still a while for ye shall see a strange and marvellous adventure so as they sat there suddenly came running through the hall a white hart with a white hound next after him and thirty couple of black running hounds making full cry and the hart made circuit of the table round and passed the other tables and suddenly the white hound flew upon him and bit him fiercely and tore out a piece from his haunch whereat the hart sprang suddenly with a great leap and overthrew a knight sitting at the table who rose forthwith and taking up the hound mounted and rode fast away but no sooner had he left than there came in a lady mounted on a white palfrey who cried out to the king lord suffer me not to have this injury the hound is mine which that knight taketh and as she spake a knight rode in all armed on a great horse and suddenly took up the lady and rode away with her by force although she greatly cried and moaned then the king desired Sir Gawain, Sir Tor, and King Pellinore to mount and follow this adventure to the uttermost, and told Sir Gawain to bring back the hart, Sir Tor the hound and knight, and King Pellinore the knight and the lady. So Sir Gawain rode forth at a swift pace, and with him Gaheris his brother for a squire, and as they went they saw two knights fighting on horseback and when they reached them they divided them and asked the reason of their quarrel we fight for a foolish matter one replied for we be brethren but there came by a white hart this way chased by many hounds and thinking it was an adventure for the high feast of king arthur i would have followed it to have gained worship whereat my younger brother here declared he was the better knight and would go after it instead and so we fight to prove which of us be the better knight this is a foolish thing said sir gawain fight with all strangers if you will but not brother with brother take my advice set on against me and if ye yield to me as i shall do my best to make ye ye shall go to king arthur and yield ye to his grace sir knight replied the brothers we are weary and will do thy wish without encountering thee but by whom shall we tell the king that we were sent by the knight that followeth the quest of the white hart said sir gawain and now tell me your names and let us part sorlus and brian of the forest they replied and so they went their way to the king's court then sir gawain still following his quest by the distant baying of the hounds came to a great river and saw the hart swimming over and near to the further bank and as he was about to plunge in and swim after he saw a knight upon the other side who cried come not over here sir knight after that hart save thou wilt joust with me i will not fail for that said sir gawain and swam his horse across the stream 
Anon they got their spears and ran against each other fiercely, and Sir Gawain smote the stranger off his horse, and turning, bade him yield. Nay, replied he, not so, for though ye have the better of me on horseback, I pray thee, valiant knight, alight, and let us match together with our swords on foot. What is thy name? quoth Gawain. Alardine of the Isles, replied the stranger. Then they fell on each other, but soon Sir Gawain struck him through the helm so deeply and so hard that all his brains were scattered, and Sir Alardine fell dead. Ah, said Gaheris, that was a mighty stroke for a young knight. Then did they turn again to follow the white hart and let slip three couple of greyhounds after him, and at the last they chased him to a castle, and there they overtook and slew him in the chief courtyard at that there rushed a knight forth from a chamber with a drawn sword in his hand and slew two of the hounds before their eyes and chased the others from the castle crying o oh, my white heart alas that thou art dead for thee my sovereign lady gave me and evil have i kept thee but if i live thy death shall be dear bought anon he went within and armed and came out fiercely and met sir gawain face to face why have ye slain my hounds said sir gawain they did but after their nature and ye had better have taken vengeance on me than on the poor dumb beasts i will avenge me on thee also said the other ere thou depart this place then did they fight with each other savagely and madly till the blood ran down to their feet but at last sir gawain had the better and felled the knight of the castle to the ground then he cried out for mercy and yielded to sir gawain and besought him as he was a knight and gentleman to save his life thou shalt die said sir gawain for slaying my hounds i will make thee all amends within my power replied the knight but sir gawain would have no mercy and unlaced his helm to strike his head off and so blind was he with rage that he saw not where a lady ran out from her chamber and fell down upon his enemy making a fierce blow at him he smote off by mischance the lady's head alas cried gaheris foully and shamefully have thee done the shame shall never leave ye why give ye not your mercy unto them that ask it a knight without mercy is without worship also then sir gawain was sore amazed at that fair lady's death and knew not what to do and said to the fallen knight arise for i will give thee mercy nay nay said he i care not for thy mercy now for thou hast slain my lady and my love that of all earthly things i loved the best i repent me sorely of it said sir gawain for i meant to have struck thee but now shalt thou go to king arthur and tell him this adventure and how thou hast been overcome by the knight that followeth the quest of the white heart i care not whether i live or die or where i go replied the knight so sir gawain sent him to the court to camelot making him bear one dead greyhound before him and one behind him on his horse tell me thy name before we part said he my name is athmore of the marsh he answered then went sir gawain into the castle and prepared to sleep there and began to unarm but gaheris upbraided him saying will ye disarm in this strange country bethink ye 
ye must needs have many enemies about no sooner had he spoken than there came out suddenly four knights well armed and assailed them hard saying to sir gawain thou new-made knight how hast thou shamed thy knighthood a knight without mercy is dishonoured slayer of fair ladies shame to thee evermore doubt not thou shalt thyself have need of mercy ere we leave thee then were the brothers in great jeopardy and feared for their lives for they were but two to four and weary with travelling and one of the four knights shot sir gawain with a bolt and hit him through the arm so that he could fight no more but when there was nothing left for them but death there came four ladies forth and prayed the four knights mercy for the strangers so they gave sir gawain and gaheris their lives and made them yield themselves prisoners on the morrow one of the ladies came to sir gawain and talked with him saying sir knight what cheer not good said he it is your own default sir said the lady for ye have done a passing foul deed slaying that fair damsel yesterday and ever shall it be great shame to you but ye be not of king arthur's kin yea truly am i said he my name is gawain son of king lot of orkney whom king pellinore slew and my mother bellicent is half-sister to the king when the lady heard that she went and presently got leave for him to quit the castle and they gave him the head of the white hart to take with him because it was in his quest but made him also carry the dead lady with him her head hung round his neck and her body lay before him on the horse's neck so in that fashion he rode back to camelot and when the king and queen saw him and heard tell of his adventures they were heavily displeased and by the order of the queen he was put upon his trial before a court of ladies who judged him to be evermore for all his life the knight of ladies quarrels and to fight always on their side and never against any except he fought for one lady and his adversary for another also they charged him never to refuse mercy to him that asked it and swore him to it on the holy gospels thus ended the adventure of the white heart meanwhile sir tor had made him ready and followed the knight who rode away with the hound and as he went there suddenly met him in the road a dwarf who struck his horse so viciously upon the head with a great staff that he leaped backwards a spear's length wherefore so smitest thou my horse foul dwarf shouted sir tor because thou shalt not pass this way replied the dwarf unless thou fight for it with yonder knights in those pavilions pointing to the two tents where two great spears stood out and two shields hung upon two trees hard by i may not tarry for i am on a quest i needs must follow said sir tor thou shalt not pass replied the dwarf and therewith blew his horn then rode out quickly at sir tor one armed on horseback but sir tor was quick as he and riding at him bore him from his horse and made him yield directly after came another still more fiercely but with a few great strokes and buffets sir tor unhorsed him also and sent them both to camelot to king arthur then came the dwarf and begged sir tor to take him in his service for said he i will serve no more recreant knights take then a horse and come with me said tor ride ye after the knight with the white hound said the dwarf i can soon bring ye where he is 
So they rode through the forest till they came to two more tents, and Sir Tor, alighting, went into the first, and saw three damsels lie there sleeping. Then went he into the other, and found another lady also sleeping, and at her feet the white hound he sought for, which instantly began to bay and bark so loudly that the lady woke. But Sir Tor had seized the hound and given it to the dwarf's charge. "'What will you do, Sir Knight?' cried out the lady. "'Will you take away my hound from me by force?' "'Yea, lady,' said Sir Tor, "'for so I must, having the king's command, "'and I have followed it from King Arthur's court at Camelot to this place.' "'Well,' said the lady, "'you will not go far before ye be ill-handled "'and will repent ye of the quest.' "'I shall cheerfully abide whatsoever adventure cometh "'by the grace of God,' said Sir Tor." and so mounted his horse and began to ride back on his way but night coming on he turned aside to a hermitage that was in the forest and there abode until the next day making but sorrowful cheer of such poor food as the hermit had to give him and hearing a mass devoutly before he left on the morrow and in the early morning as he rode forth with the dwarf toward camelot he heard a knight call loudly after him turn turn abide sir knight and yield me up the hound thou tookest from my lady at which he turned and saw a great and strong knight armed full splendidly riding down upon him fiercely through a glade of the forest now sir tor was very ill provided for he had but an old courser which was as weak as himself because of the hermit's scanty fare he waited nevertheless for the strange knight to come and at the first onset with their spears each unhorsed the other then fell to with their swords like two mad lions then did they smite through one another's shields and helmets till the fragments flew on all sides and their blood ran out in streams but yet they carved and roved through the thick armour of the hauberks and gave each other great and ghastly wounds but in the end sir tor finding the strange knight faint doubled his strokes till he beat him to the earth then did he bid him yield to his mercy that i will not replied abelius while my life lasteth and my soul is in my body unless thou give me first the hound i cannot said sir tor and will not for it was my quest to bring again that hound and thee unto king arthur or otherwise to slay thee with that there came a damsel riding on a palfrey as fast as she could drive and cried out to sir tor with a loud voice i pray thee for king arthur's love give me a gift ask said sir tor and i will give thee gramercy said the lady i ask the head of this false knight abelius the most outrageous murderer that liveth i repent me of the gift i promised said sir tor let him make thee amends he cannot make amends replied the damsel for he hath slain my brother a far better knight than he and scorned to give him mercy though i kneeled for half an hour before him in the mire to beg it and though it was but by a chance they fought and for no former injury or quarrel i require my gift of thee as a true knight or else i will shame thee in king arthur's court for this abelius is the falsest knight alive and a murderer of many when abelius heard this he trembled greatly and was sore afraid and yielded to sir tor and prayed his mercy 
i cannot now sir knight said he lest i be false to my promise ye would not take my mercy when i offered it and now it is too late therewith he unlaced his helmet and took it off but abellius in dismal fear struggled to his feet and fled until sir tor overtook him and smote off his head entirely with one blow now sir said the damsel it is near night i pray ye come and lodge at my castle hard by i will with a good will said he for both his horse and he had fared but poorly since they left camelot so he went to the lady's castle and fared sumptuously and saw her husband an old knight who greatly thanked him for his service and urged him oftentimes to come again on the morrow he departed and reached camelot by noon where the king and queen rejoiced to see him and the king made him earl and merlin prophesied that these adventures were but little to the things he should achieve hereafter now while sir gawain and sir tor had fulfilled their quests king pellinore pursued the lady whom the knight had seized away from the wedding feast and as he rode through the woods he saw in a valley a fair young damsel sitting by a well-side and a wounded knight lying in her arms and king pellinore saluted her as he passed by as soon as she perceived him she cried out help help me knight for our lord's sake but pellinore was far too eager in his quest to stay or turn although she cried a hundred times to him for help at which she prayed to heaven he might have such sore need before he died as she had now and presently thereafter her knight died in her arms and she for grief and love slew herself with his sword but king pellinore rode on till he met a poor man and asked him had he seen a knight pass by that way leading by force a lady with him yea surely said the man and greatly did she moan and cry but even now another knight is fighting with him to deliver the lady ride on and thou shalt find them fighting still at that king pellinore rode swiftly on and came to where he saw the two knights fighting hard by where two pavilions stood and when he looked in one of them he saw the lady that was his quest and with her the two squires of the two knights who fought fair lady said he ye must come with me unto arthur's court sir knights said the two squires yonder be two knights fighting for this lady go part them and get their consent to take her ere thou touch her you say well said king pellinore and rode between the combatants and asked them why they fought sir knight said the one yon lady is my cousin mine aunt's daughter whom i met borne away against her will by this knight here with whom i therefore fight to free her sir knight replied the other whose name was hanslake of wentland this lady got i by my arms and prowess at king arthur's court to-day that is false said king pellinore ye stole the lady suddenly and fled away with her before any knight could arm to stay thee but it is my service to take her back again neither of ye shall therefore have her but if ye fight for her fight with me now and here well said the knights make ready and we will assail thee with all our might then sir hanslake ran king pellinore's horse through with his sword so that they might be all alike on foot but king pellinore at that was passing wroth and ran upon sir hanslake with a cry keep well thy head 
and gave him such a stroke upon the helm as clove him to the chin so that he fell dead to the ground when he saw that the other knight refused to fight and kneeling down said take my cousin the lady with thee as thy quest is but as thou art a true knight suffer her to come to neither shame nor harm so the next day king pellinore departed for camelot and took the lady with him and as they rode in a valley full of rough stones the damsel's horse stumbled and threw her so that her arms were sorely bruised and hurt and as they rested in the forest for the pain to lessen night came on and there they were compelled to make their lodging a little before midnight they heard the trotting of a horse be ye still said king pellinore for now we may hear of some adventure and therewith he armed him then he heard two knights meet and salute each other in the dark one riding from camelot and the other from the north what tidings at camelot said one by my head said the other i have but just left there and have espied king arthur's court and such a fellowship is there as never may be broke or overcome for well nigh all the chivalry of the world is there and all full loyal to the king and now i ride back homeward to the north to tell our chiefs that they waste not their strength in wars against him as for all that replied the other knight i am but now from the north and bear with me a remedy the deadliest poison that ever was heard tell of and to camelot will i with it for there we have a friend close to the king and greatly cherished of him who hath received gifts from us to poison him as he hath promised soon to do beware said the first knight of merlin for he knoweth all things by the devil's craft i will not fear that replied the other and so rode on his way anon king pellinore and the lady passed on again when they came to the well at which the lady with the wounded knight had sat they found both knight and damsel utterly devoured by lions and wild beasts all save the lady's head when king pellinore saw that he wept bitterly saying alas i might have saved her life had i but tarried a few moments in my quest wherefore make so much sorrow now said the lady i know not answered he but my heart grieveth greatly for this poor lady's death so fair she was and young then he required a hermit to bury the remains of the bodies and bear the lady's head with him to camelot to the court when he was arrived he was sworn to tell the truth of his quest before the king and queen and when he had entered the queen somewhat upbraided him saying ye were much to blame that ye saved not that lady's life madam said he i shall repent it all my life ay king quoth merlin who suddenly came in and so ye ought to do for that lady was your daughter not seen since infancy by thee and she was on her way to court with a right good knight who would have been her husband but was slain by treachery of a felon knight lorraine le sauvage as they came and because thou wouldst not abide and help her thy best friend shall fail thee in thine hour of greatest need for such is the penance ordain thee for that deed then did king pellinore tell merlin secretly of the treason he had heard in the forest and merlin by his craft so ordered that the knight who bare the poison was himself soon after slain by it and so king arthur's life was saved End of chapter 6 Recording by 
Thomas Rose Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.